0: Good evening. It is good to be with you. It is great to have you with us. We want to express again our appreciation for all who are visiting with us this evening. Thank you for coming and sharing this assembly with us to worship God and to study His Word. As we have read in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ not only confirms that he is truly the Son of God, that is truth, that is fact, but also the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ gives us assurance. It assures us and gives the confidence that we know that we all will be raised from death one day is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior gives us that assurance. It is a wonderful promise, and it is a very anchoring hope as we live life and face all the struggles that life throws at us at times. And sometimes we we can somewhat be overwhelmed by what life dishes out along our journey. But we know by faith and by the truth of God's word, we know that death is not the end of us. It's not the end. But rather, death is simply something that we must experience, that we must endure, that we must go through in our journey or on our journey toward eternity. For example, what did Solomon say back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 about, you know, there's a time for every event. There's a time for everything. And one of the things he says is there's a time to give birth. But the flip side of that, you know, with the beginning there comes an end to this earthly journey. And so he says there's a time to give birth, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. Jesus, through his death, renders the devil powerless over death. Jesus has rendered the devil powerless over death. And he has rendered the devil powerless over Hades. Our Lord and our Savior, as we see here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, our Lord who shared in flesh and blood like we do, He partook of the same, as we are partaking right now. That through his death, he did so to render powerless, as it says, him who had the power of death through sin. And he's talking about the devil there. And so he came to partake of life and to make him powerless over death so that, as he says there in the 15th verse, that he may free us from the fear of death which man has been subject to from almost the beginning of time. As long as God continues to suffer long with humanity, and as long as he continues to postpone Christ's return, the Lord does not promise us that we will not die. That's not what he promises us. What he promises us, he says, even if we die, there is still life. There is something greater. There is something promised you that is coming later on. The terrible consequences of sin has become to us something that just is, is accepted. It's just, that's just the way it is now. And we forget that death is the consequence of sin. Physical death came into the world because of sin. And we kind of have, mankind in general, not you, you you know this, but in general, mankind just kind of forgets, well, this is just the way it is. And it's not the way that God wanted it to be. God created life to live and to live with him. But trepidation is associated with things that are uncertain. Trepidation is associated with things that are unknown to us, that are something that we have not yet experienced personally ourselves. So thoughts about drastic changes involving future unknowns can be overwhelming, and such is true of death. We have... Not experienced that ourselves yet. It's an unknown. It's a reality. We know it's part of this life, but we don't really know all that there is to know about death. What happens at death? What happens during death? Sobering questions. Questions that we may not be able to answer fully in the way, man, or we want them to be answered. We want to know more, but we can't answer all of the questions about death that we might have. But God gives us answers. God gives us answers. And that's what I wanted to address tonight. Tonight's lesson is really more of an instructional kind of lesson and hopefully there will be some aspect that you will find comfort in the instruction. It is a topic that I was uh, requested to address some time back and it's just been a while for me getting around finishing this series or that series to come around and address this subject. But I think it's an important one and understand Jesus does not want you to fear this. He does not want you to fear this. He wants you to face it courageously and march onward to what he has promised you. Let's begin here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. I'll read verse 6 and 7 together where it says, Remember him that remember God before the silver cord is broken. And the golden bowl is crushed, and the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel of the at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. God Almighty, God the Creator, God the Redeemer. The God who is I am, God has charge over everyone's body, spirit, and soul. It's in his charge. And Solomon knew that. And as he closed out this amazing book of wisdom and lessons to learn, he reminds us of the end of the journey on earth. And he says, God's in charge here. And so after death, the Bible is very clear in pointing out the fact that the physical body, this body of ours that we we get comfortable with and then we're not comfortable with it anymore because life gets harder as we age. This body after death, the physical body over time will decompose. And it's going to return back to the basic material from what we are made. From dust we were created, to dust we shall return. And you see that being brought out there in God's cursing or judgment there in the garden when he addresses Satan and Adam and Eve, each one addressing different aspects of that judgment. He reminds Adam that I created you from this, and that's where you're going to go back to. So this physical body is going to return to what it from what is created. From Abel to Adam. Abel's the first one to die. And then, then Adam is the first one we're told about. Next one we're told about. But from Abel to Adam and onward, men die. And that has always been the case within the time work of frame, the time frame of time. And then the body decays. Solomon, as we've already read, poetically describes this end of this journey and what takes place as something that is described as broken or crushed or shattered. That's poetic imagery of what's gonna happen to the body. And throughout human history, throughout human history, the Holy Spirit tells us about only two men. We only know of two men throughout entire human history who did not die. And experience this that we're going to talk about tonight. It's Enoch back in Genesis chapter 5. And then later on you have Elijah over in 2 Kings chapter 2. Those are the only two that did not experience dying and death and all that's involved in that. They did not die. God took them to be with him. So at the time of death... We are told, for example, in James chapter 2, verse 26, in the context of what, what how, how do you describe a dead faith, he uses physical death to illustrate that. He uses physical death to illustrate the idea of what happens, what transpires. And he says, like the body, so is faith. The body without the spirit is dead. And so at death, what transpires? The spirit leaves. The spirit of a man leaves his physical body. Why? Because the physical body, this tent, this tabernacle, this vessel in which the spirit, the soul of man resides, can no longer house it. It's unable to house the spirit. That God gave it. God gives the spirit. And God has charge over that spirit. He's God. He's the creator. And so we need to find strength in knowing that God is in control. God is in control. But to illustrate the idea of this separation between the physical and the spiritual, between the body and the spirit, there's a, some passages in in the New Testament that you can refer to. For example, in Luke 8, it is the healing of Jairus's daughter. In Luke chapter 8, you have Jesus heals Jairus's daughter, and when when Jesus chi- when Jesus says child arise, it's interesting that the Spirit chose to describe that. He says, "Her spirit returned to her." Why is that? Because when she died, what what did the Spirit do? It left. That's why. Or over in in uh, Luke chapter twenty three, on the cross, as Jesus is about to breathe his last breath, Luke records for us in the forty sixth verse that. Jesus cried out to his father. He says, oh, father, I commit my spirit into your hands. Jesus knew he is God the son. He knew at death his spirit would leave the body. And his spirit would be in the the hands or in the charge of the father. Even Stephen understood this correlation between the separation of spirit from body at the time of death. For example, in Acts chapter seven, verse 59, as he's being stoned, so they're still stoning him, and so he is dying. It says, he cried out to Jesus and said, receive my spirit. So at the time of death, one of the things that happens at death is the spirit that's you or me or whoever leaves the body. But that spirit of man is eternal in nature. He's eternal in nature. In John, in, for example, in uh, uh, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, you have... Jesus' teaching on the subject of worship and how true worshipers should worship God in spirit and truth and that is dependent upon the fact of who God is and the nature of God and it says God is spirit therefore God desires true worshipers to worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. And even when Jesus was raised from the dead, on one occasion, he's you know, when speaking to disciples, he says, okay, "You know, it's really me. You know, I've been raised from the dead because a spirit does not have flesh and bones. You know, it's not flesh and blood. A spirit is not that. It's not the physical body. God is spirit, and yet we're told back over in Genesis chapter one, we are reminded there in the twenty-sixth verse that you and I, and every living soul." that has ever been created and, and will be come into being before t- the end of time. Every living human being is made in the image of his creator. But God is not flesh and bones. He's not physical like we are. He's spiritual, he is spirit. And so you think of that back, so the spirit of man is eternal, it's like God. We are not God. But we're, there's a likeness about us that is is God-like. and it's the eternal aspect of who we are, the spirit of the soul of man. in Matthew chapter 22 in Matthew chapter 22 Jesus is addressing a subject you know, that uh, some of the Jews argued about with Christ and it was the subject of the resurrection. And on that particular occasion, he goes back refers to something that God said way back, you know, in the book of Exodus. But let us turn over to Matthew chapter 22 and just read a couple verses here. And see what Jesus says about this idea of the spirit's nature. The character of the spirit, you know, that departs from the physical body when we die. In Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 22, look there in verse verse uh, 31, 32, where Jesus is speaking. He's answering the you know this question. There was an effort to try to you know, know, so many occasions you know these Jews are trying to trap Jesus in saying the wrong thing. So in verse 29, he begins to answer their question. He, He basically says, "Okay, you're mistaken. You don't understand what you're talking about." You don't, you don't understand the scriptures, but notice what he says in verse 31, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, you know, they had some uh, thoughts about that, that were not correct. And so he says, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Now we 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 can go back to Exodus chapter three when God actually said this to Moses, and in saying it to Moses, He was also saying it to the people, the nation as well. And so He says, "I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living." And as Bible students, good Bible students, you know, at this point, Abraham. Isaac and Jacob have been dead for centuries. Their bodies are decomposed. And yet, here is God sending his messenger to speak to Moses and saying, this is who I am. I am the God of living ones. And he calls out three patriarchs of the Israelites Ancestral fathers, whose bodies has long been, had long returned to dust years before. And he says, These three beings, these three men did not stop existing. Their bodies gone, but they're alive in some form, in some fashion, somewhere. He says, and I'm their God. Their spirit lived on under God's charge, under God's power, under God's authority. Even Revelation chapter 6, as you have the breaking of the seals, you have in the sixth seal that's broken by the Lamb of God, if you recall, there's an altar in this vision. And under the altar, there are some people. And who these people are in this vision are the souls or the spirits of martyred Christians. They're dead, they were killed. For the cause of Christ, they died for their faith. They truly lived fully to the point what, you know, what they were encouraged to do, you know, earlier on in chapter 2, when it says, be faithful unto death, they did that. But there in chapter 6, verse 9, the lamb breaks, sorry, it was the fifth seal, my mistake, Not the sixth, it was the fifth seal. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they maintained. They cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Here we've got martyred Christian spirits, souls, still crying out to God for justice. They can just disappear altogether. God is the God of the living, and we need to remember that. God is the one who has power over man. Man's life, man's death, man's eternity. In Matthew 10, verse 38, Leland referred to this in his lesson this morning, the idea of how we need to fear God, and one of the reasons we need to fear God is because he has authority over the body and the soul. So God has charge over everyone's body, and everyone's spirit and soul. But under God's charge, where does the spirit go? Where does it go? Jesus taught about a place called Hades. Now we understand that the Hades of the Bible is not the same as the Hades that you read and hear about in mythology and all of that kind of falsehood. The truth about Hades is found in God's word. In the Old Testament, this this, place is referred to as Sheol. It's the Hebrew word for the same place. One is Hebrew, the other is Greek. And Jesus taught about a place called Hades. Matthew 11, it talks about, you know, the fact that in Capernaum, you know, the fact that they had refused, you know, and rejected Christ, even though they saw the miracles and what, 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 you know, what that would entail in the judgment. And talks about, you know, they're going to descend into Hades. Matthew 16, you've got Jesus' statement following that great, bold confession of the apostle Peter who says that he believed Jesus to be the son of God. And he believed that with all his heart. That he then goes on to say about what he would do based upon that confession, based upon that fact, that truth about who Jesus is. And so Jesus says in verse, you know, verse 18, he says, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. In John 5, in John 5, Jesus spoke very plainly about the fact and the truth that there is going to be a day when all the dead will be raised from the grave on the same day for the same time. In John five, Jesus is teaching about his authority, the authority that has been given to him. He, he did not usurp authority from his father. No, it was given to him by his father because he is the son. And it's because of this authority he has, he has the authority to execute judgment upon mankind. And so in verse 28, he says, he says don't marvel at this For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth all the dead from Abel to whenever will hear God's son call them forth from the grave, from death. And when that happens, he says, those who did good, it will be a resurrection to life and those who committed evil to a resurrection of judgment. So, somewhere in the spiritual realm, the spirits of the deceased go. And that's where they stay until the hour when the Lord, Jesus, calls them and raises them up. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16 where Jesus tells the story about a man named Lazarus and an unnamed man that we simply know as the rich man. The rich man fared well in life. Lazarus did not. But then it, as, as time passed, what happens happened to them both. In verse 22, they begin. They die. He said, so in verse 20, he says, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels of Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. Both died. It is the equalizer of humanity. No matter what success we have in this life, in death we are the same. We die, and we're accountable to the God who created us. And so that's what happened to them. The poor man died. And the rich man died, and in verse 23, in Hades, in Hades, that place that Jesus says cannot overpower his body, his people, his church. Hades does not have power over his church. It is the place of the deceased spirit. And so he says, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and being in torment, he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And you know the story and how the rich man makes a plea to Abraham, and that plea cannot be answered, cannot be given. Hades, though, is not hell. In the Greek, these are two different words the word for hell in the greek looks something like this word gehenna and so you know we need to differentiate between that there is there is an older version that sometimes gets gets these two words mixed up but generally speaking some of the newer versions in english yeah you know, always place hades you know in the right place But we need to understand that Hades is not hell. It is not Gehenna. Gehenna is the eternal place of torment in outer darkness, away from the presence of God. It is the eternal final dwelling of the wicked. But according to Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 16, as I understand it, in Hades, where both the rich man and the poor man went, there's a place of torment and there's a place of comfort. The place of comfort to which the angels carried Lazarus is called Abraham's bosom and that's where Abraham is. Abraham is in Hades and it's that place in Hades where Abraham is, is a place of comfort. But Jesus also went there as well. When Jesus died and his spirit was committed to the charge of his father, where did his spirit go? Where did his spirit go? It went to Hades. And so you think about that. Jesus' spirit departed from his body when he breathed his last. When he breathed his last and he died, his spirit left that body. Now, that body was still on the cross a little bit longer until Josephus and Joseph and Nicodemus came and got it and took it down and prepared it and put it in the tomb. His body was still on the cross a little bit longer before it was put in, put in the tomb, in the sepulcher, but his spirit was gone. So you so said, where, where, where did Jesus' spirit go? Well, we're told when you begin to look at the fulfillment of the promises and the prophecies concerning the Messiah, we are told, for example, in Acts chapter 2, that he went to Hades. When he was raised from the dead, where had he been? He had been in Hades, is the place where the Spirit goes, wherever it is, yeah, you know, to be in the charge ultimately of God. And God has given the keys of that place to his son. But you look here in chapter 2 of Acts. Look in verse 29, 30, and 31, as Peter and the apostles are preaching this amazing discourse of who Jesus is, what he did for them, what he conquered, and how salvation is in, is in no other name but him. The apostles remind his audience that what Jesus has done is in perfect harmony with God promised with, that he would do. For example, in verse 29, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, King David, that he both died and he was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So at the time that Peter and the other apostle there preaching the gospel, they, they still knew where David's tomb was. They could go to it. This is where King David's tomb is. And yet he goes on to, and so because he was a prophet, not only was David a king, he was a prophet. A prophet who knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his sins on his throne. You know, that is 2 Samuel chapter seven, is it not? That's where that's coming from. But notice in verse 31, the same prophet spoke of, as someone can sit on my throne, he says in verse 31, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of, Of the Christ, of the Messiah, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Two things, two things that did not, that took place there. Jesus' body did not decay. Why is that? Because he wasn't left in Hades long enough for the body to decay. That's why. This is Psalm 16. So, in David's lifetime, as a prophet of God, he writes a number of psalms. A number of those are messianic. In Psalm 16, speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit, the apostles clearly, definitively explain to us this psalm, this phrase is about Jesus. There's no question. And so, when Jesus died and His Spirit left His body. On the cross, and that cross, that that body that is taken to the tomb. Where did that spirit go? It went to Hades, but it wasn't left there. It was not abandoned there, and neither did his did his body undergo decay and decomposition. In the resurrection, his spirit like Jairus's daughter, returned to his flesh and his body. Jesus, think about, you know, when, when Jesus, Jesus went to Hades. Jesus went to Hades, but the thing is he didn't stay there. That's the victory. That's the victory. He died and he went to Hades. He didn't stay there. He did not ascend to his father when he left, when his spirit left the body, because you know, Jesus himself says in John twenty, after the resurrection, he's talking to Mary Magdalene. And remember what he tells Mary Magdalene about clinging to her, holding on to him. He says, "You know, you know, don't cling to me. Don't you know? Don't keep holding on to me because I have not yet ascended to my father." And that's where I'm going. So he, ha- he didn't ascend to his father when he died. When his spirit left that body, It didn't ascend to the father. He hadn't done that yet. That's coming later, days later. He went to Hades. My understanding of Luke chapter 23, verse 43, when Jesus is there on the cross, giving hope to the one thief that became a convicted believer, of Jesus Christ. Understanding when he's of the paradise of Luke 23, 43 is the paradise that Jesus and that thief went to was the paradise of Abraham's bosom. Where the spirit goes to be comforted, to have rest from the labors of life and the struggles and the pains that we have to endure and King David so long ago back in Psalm 16 around the year 1000 BC rough estimate there but King David is still waiting to be raised David died was buried and his tomb is still it was still there in the first century he's waiting because he knew he understood even way back then that he too would not be abandoned in Hades and neither will we where do we go as god's people as faithful children of god obedient children of god you know where do we go where does god's saints go i believe they go to Hades when they die Think about this, the, the, the whole idea of, okay, here is Jesus. He comes, he partakes of flesh and blood. He partakes and shares in life as we live. He experiences all, and he experienced death. going well, to say it first, he experienced dying. He experienced the process of dying on a cross. You know, fortunately, and hopefully, none of us will ever have to experience that kind of dying but he experienced dying on the cross, then he experienced death, and he experienced Hades. And because Jesus was raised up on the third day, we have assurance, we have confidence. We know assuredly that we are not going to be left there. We will not be abandoned just like Jesus was not abandoned. We do not immediately go to heaven at the time of death. There's a resurrection that we have to experience if we die before he comes back. So when when will those asleep in Jesus? When will those who are, you know, who die in the Lord, when will they forever be with their Lord and with their savior in heaven? When will that take place? To me the 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 clearest text that paints just such a beautiful comforting, you know, the picture is 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And if, if you have, you know, you know, been a share with many of the brethren here and attended a graveside where I was, you know, given the privilege to participate, this is one of my go-to texts for my brethren, for the saint. In First Thessalonians chapter four, In verse 13 to verse 18, the apostle Paul is writing to Christians with the purpose to give them comfort about dead Christians. That's the purpose of this. So that they don't have to worry about their brethren who have gone on before them. And at the same time, they don't have to worry about themselves if they go on before the Lord comes back. And the reason why is because of this. In verse 13, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, "We We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. In the context, clearly, he's not talking about the sleep you have at night. He's talking about the sleep of death. I think there's a reason why the Spirit chooses that word. I think there's a profound thought for us to consider. He says, I don't want you to be informed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, if we believe that he died and rose again, we believe that. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain into the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You know, it's not a contest. Who gets there first? You know, we will not precede those who have left this world by experienced death. So no, that's not what's gonna happen. Verse 16 goes on. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout of the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. In relationship to the living in Christ, that's what this context is. Jesus already said, "I'm going to call the, I'm going to call everyone from the grave." But those in Christ have a different end. He says. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with this. When are we gonna always be with the Lord? It's after the resurrection. <laughs> it's after the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's when we will always be with the Lord. The faithful dead will not forever be with Christ until he descends from heaven at that last trumpet and calls them forth from the grave. That's when they come, and, and death is finally conquered because he has the keys of death and Hades. He also says, The faithful living. The faithful living will not you know, forever be, the, be with the Lord until Jesus comes down, you know, raises the dead, and they meet together in the resurrection, forever be with the Lord. These are words that are intended to be comforting. There's a lot about death, and there's a lot about Hades that you and I do not know But what we can know is comforting, it's emboldening to our faith. And Jesus says, I made the devil powerless so you don't have to fear what's coming. In Hades, there is a place of comfort. In Hades, there is a place of rest for God's faithful and obedient children. To be in the bosom of Abraham is intended to be a picture of great hope to those who are asleep in Jesus. But both the living and the dead in Christ are not, you know, well, actually, you know, let me say it differently. They are both looking for the coming return of their Savior. The dead are looking for it, and so are the living. We're all looking for the same return the return of our Savior, the return of our King. So as expressed over in 2 you know, you know, second, uh, second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, so that he will finally be glorified on that day in his saints. When is he gonna be glorified on a particular day in the saints? Well, it's when he comes to give relief to the saints by executing judgment, you know, And that's when he returns. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have revealed this to us. And enough to us so that we don't have to be afraid of the unknown. He doesn't want us to be afraid of what we've not yet experienced. We have a living hope. It's alive. And that hope is alive even in death. Our hope does not die when we die. There's rest, there's comfort, there's peace, there's joy that's awaiting for all of God's faithful children who overcome. Are you one of his children? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you called upon the name of the Lord and obeyed the gospel of the Son of God? He died and was raised and conquered death and ascended to the right hand of the Father above so he could be your savior and be your mediator and be your intercessor. But he's not yours in a personal way until you call on him in obedience to his authority. He has the keys. If you want to be with him forever when he returns, you need to be ready. If we can help you any way spiritually to make your life right with the Lord, please come forward, make your wishes known, or stand and sing the song that's been selected.